How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully everybody's well. Everybody had a very nice uh, Memorial weekend and Memorial Day. And I know some of you went to parades in different places. And uh, I saw some pictures of some people at parades. So fantastic to spend some time at a parade. Uh, we... we uh, did some work around the house. We had some meetings uh, with people, good meetings. I mean, meaningful types of things, uh, ministry-related uh, and otherwise relational, and it was good to uh, to spend time with people. Yesterday, hopefully you got to do the same. Hopefully you had a little bit of uh, thought of some gratitude for people who served and gave their lives Memorial Day is a time to memorialize those who gave their lives for 
for our country, uh, not just those that served, but we give we have gratitude for all those who served and lived and those who served and gave their lives in service to the country. That's what yesterday was about uh, as well. People did lots of other things. We did little lawn work and uh, had picnic with some people and picked up some flowers and things of that nature yesterday. So uh, anyway, here we are. It's Tuesday. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10. You're not all interested in what yesterday, uh, yesterday's festivities were, although, I mean, you could put on there, maybe if you wanted to in the comments, what you did yesterday. Uh, went to a parade, had a picnic, ate lobster. Um, we didn't do that. We had burgers and uh, hot dogs and um, pork tenderloin and a great big salad. And uh, so uh, anyway, uh, that that's much of what we did. Love to hear about your day in the comments there. Meantime, we're going to get in the book of Acts chapter 10. Uh, at Caesarea, there was a name a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, I, I want to put up for you, I think I have it here, uh, a picture. There we go. Here is where Caesarea Maritima is right here. Jerusalem is here. Joppa is over here. And this is Joppa. That's where Simon the Tanner lived that we spoke about yesterday. And um, Caesarea Maritime is a little bit further north, right on the coast. It is, it would have been a lovely city, actually. Um, so some of the things that we do know about Caesarea Maritima uh, is a little bit about its size. Um, so let me, let me give you a little bit of information about Caesarea uh, Maritima. Um, here, the great constructed uh, Caesarea Maritima. Uh, he was the builder. He was the architect. And it, it, I've been there, uh, and it would have been a lovely, lovely place, actually. It was built between 22 and 10 B.C. Uh, a place, a small site had been called Stratos Tower, uh, and it was located on the coast of what would be called the Sharon Plain. And we were looking at that. I, I showed you on the map. That is a plane called the Sheridan Plane. Uh, it was the main port in Palestine, and Rome's representatives ruled ruled Palestine from there for almost 600 years. Uh, this particular city has mentioned in the New Testament some 17 times. Uh, Philip visited there. We read about that in Acts chapter 8. Paul was there in Acts chapter 9. And so we know the likelihood that Cornelius may have heard the gospel and had some experience, some encounter with the gospel prior to seeing, having this vision that he will have that we're that we'll be reading about here in Acts chapter ten. And it's here in Acts ten eleven that we see he and his family converted to Christianity, and it's in the same city where Herod Agrippa died uh, in uh, AD forty four. Remember, there was Herod the Great and Herod Agrippa, not the same Herod Agrippa, the son uh, of Herod the Great. Um, Paul was a prisoner here for several years uh, before appealing to Caesar and sailing to Rome. 
Uh, this particular city had a, a population of about 40,000 people, so it was no small town. During the Byzantine area, a few hundred years later, it had about 100,000 people, and by the time of the Crusaders, the city only had about 12,000 people. Uh, probably wars and plagues and things of that nature caused the, as well as people moving, scattering, uh, caused the, the, the city to diminish. Uh, it, it boasted a, a very nice theater. In fact, theaters were very popular in most of the cities uh, in that day. Had several palaces, had amphitheater, uh, had a synagogue, uh, a hippodrome. And a hippodrome uh, is, is a place that was out on the water, looking out toward the water, and uh, where people could be seated and they would watch chariot races and they would watch uh, different types of events, athletic events and things right on the beach there uh, of the Mediterranean Sea at the Hippodrome. Had uh, aqueducts, had bathhouses, temples, had three different harbors, the largest being called uh, uh, Sebastos, uh, after the emperor uh, Sebastus. During the Byzantine period, it was famous for a library uh, and a variety of Christian scholars like Origen, Eusebius, uh, Pamphilius, th th those were uh, Christian scholars who lived in that day. And why would you not want to live there with that many people? Uh, it was it was an, uh, quite the city, quite the place to be. Probably lots of uh, eating places to eat, uh, shopping, uh, lots of different types of people coming and going. It was a phenomenal place, uh, actually, uh, in its day. So. Um, that is Caesarea Maritima that, that we have just considered. And let's get back into the text again here. And let me pop that back up. There we go. So that is, that's the location. This is the area. Uh, Cornelius, that, that centurion known as the Italian Regiment, probably because they came from the, the uh, area of Italy um, and regiment. Um, notice what it says about him in verse 2. It says, he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. Uh, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he was already a spiritually interested man. He was already a spiritually committed man. Uh, but he just wasn't committed to the right thing yet. You can have a, you can fall off, and this, this is a Tim Keller quote that I'm going to try to not mess up here this morning. If I can find my mouse. There it is. Um, he, he said, if you fall off a cliff, you can have strong faith in a weak branch and still lead to peril. But if you have weak faith in a strong branch, you know that your salvation will stand. And this man had strong faith in a weak branch. And there are lots of people in our day who have strong faith in, in weak branches. And by that, what I mean is they're, they're listening to some pie-in-the-sky poetry, a little smattering of some scripture mixed in there, hopeful thoughts, but not rooted in the gospel itself. That is the type of, of you know, uh, weak branch. You don't want to... 
You don't want to place your faith in a weak branch. And sadly, you see many people who place their faith in a weak branch like that. We need to place our, our small faith uh, in in the strong branch, and that branch is Jesus. And this is what uh, this is what Cornelius is going to learn about in this chapter. He was devout. He was religious. He was God fearing. Uh, notice he was also. It says he was generous. He gave to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Uh, one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, "Cornelius." Now, think about what that would be like um, to, to have an angel show up uh, and speak to you in this way. Now, let me go back and just a little bit more detail about Cornelius um, and this Italian regiment. Uh, um, there were two such recorded in history, there are two such Italian cohorts that were stationed in different provinces of the empire. They were made up of Italian volunteers, considered the most loyal Roman troops. Uh, And because he was such a loyal servant of the oppressors of Israel, most every patriotic Jewish person that day would naturally be prejudiced against Cornelius. Even though he was religious, even though he was God-fearing, it would make sense that the people would also fear him because he was a loyalist. Yet, what is known about him is that he was God-fearing. Now, as typical in Rome, uh, he would have been exposed to the Roman gods, gods like Jupiter, Augustus, Mars, Venus. Uh, That's where he would have been placing his devotion to gods such as those. Uh, He was in the category... Uh, also, perhaps, uh, of the God-fears, here are some different options of, of what it meant that uh, Cornelius feared God. Uh, a category of Italian Jews, God-fears, these were Gentiles who loved the God of Israel. They were sympathetic to and supportive of the Jewish faith, yet they stopped short of becoming full Jews in lifestyle and circumcision. So, I mean, he could have been, when it says he was God-fearing, it could have been either either to the Roman gods uh, or that he could have been a a God-fearing convert to Judaism in that sense. He was always praying to God. He was always looking to God. uh, And because of this spiritual interest that he had, God sent the angel to him. So we pick back up in the text. One day about three in the afternoon, we know what time it was. Some translations will say the ninth hour, ninth hour from 6 a.m. being three in the afternoon. Uh, we don't know uh, that he was necessarily praying in the in this ninth hour, but we know that he has this vision. It was a customary time of prayer for the Jews. So it's possible if he were uh, practicing Judaism that he could have been in the place of prayer. Although it does say, uh, related to the incident in Acts chapter 10, he, he said to Peter that at the ninth hour he was praying in his house. So there is some uh, thought that perhaps he was, in fact, in his house praying. It's not absolutely certain, but that's what he later relays 
He speaks of having the vision that came in the mind's eye of Cornelius. Uh, and the angel even calls him by name, and then the angel gives him very, very, very specific instructions. So let's look at these instructions. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, I mean, this angel calls him by name. This this isn't just, uh, um, you know, something that, oh, did I hear a truck go by? Well, maybe not a truck in his day. Did I hear a horse and carriage go by? No, he heard his name absolutely unequivocally. This angel came and said to him, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. See, even those that are unsaved. Now, here is a good question for us. Do the prayers of the unsaved reach God? There are verses you could go back uh, in the book of Psalms and read and say, well, no, none of the prayers of the the unsaved reach God. But yet, what if the unsaved person has a hunger for God, but they've just never heard the gospel? What if the unsaved person is praying legitimately and truly and honestly to God? Now, I'm not saying that saves them. Don't, Don't, don't. misunderstand what I'm saying, but could it be because here in this text right here in verse 4, it says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So we see his prayers and, and even his acts, his works reaching up to God. Now, he gives this instruction, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout devout soldier who was with one of his attendants. So he took people with him. When He he didn't take them. He says uh, Cornelius called two of the servants uh, and a devout soldier. So there's three, two servants and a soldier. And he told them everything that happened and then sent them to Joppa. He didn't leave a Caesarea Maritima. He stayed right there. He sent people. He had people, servants, that he could call upon to send for Peter. Now, here's the very interesting thing. The interesting thing is that, that Simon has this vision, but at the same time or near the same time, around the same time, God is preparing Peter for what is about to happen. God oftentimes works in tandem. That What he may tell one person, he will also prepare the other. This can apply to marriage. Uh, this can apply to a church. This can apply to a, a group of people in Christian ministry. If they are seeking after God, then, then God will perhaps reveal to them the same thing. Oftentimes, we run out in our own strength to do ministry in our own strength, in our own way without regard for uh, for hearing from the voice of the Spirit, without regard for what does God want. We, in our great wisdom and great logic, we think, well, we certainly this is what God would want. Well, not always. Sometimes God may want something different than what we want. Now, let's get look back at the text. Send some men to Joppa. We already showed you that Joppa was south of Caesarea Maritima. 
and he was told, actually, he's told in verse 5, send men to Joppa to bring back Simon, who was called Peter. I mean, the, the angel even gets specific enough as to say, send some men. It isn't just Simon, uh, it isn't just um, Cornelius, you go down to Simon. No, it was send some men to Joppa to bring back Simon, who's called Peter. And notice what the angel does. He goes even further in verse 10. He tells him exactly where he's located. It's like God providing one of those map pins, you know, that, that geo locator, that location, that, that the coordinates, if you will. I mean, this is, this is the Holy Spirit through an angel providing the coordinates, if you will, uh, of just exactly where Simon was staying at the home of Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So, so they knew, uh, these people that would be sent knew to go to Caesarea Maritima. They knew to, to go to a house out by the sea. And remember, this is a population that had grown up during these, this era. We don't know if it was 40,000 yet, but it was certainly a growing city. So it wasn't like, oh, there's one house out by the beach. Go there. Uh, but they went to the houses that were on the beach, that were on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and probably had to ask, can you tell us where Simon the Tanner lives? And they went and they found Simon the Tanner. So it says, when the angel who spoke to them had gone, Cornelius called these servants. He told them everything that happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Now, that is on their side of the equation. What about on Peter's side? What happens to him? It says about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, so it's not the same time. The text tells us it's the following day, but yet God is preparing Peter for what is about to happen. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He fell asleep. <laughs> uh, I saw a great picture of one of our dear friends, uh, his name is Ed, from our church, having his devotions sitting there, uh, probably in a trance. We, he was in a spiritual trance, snoring. Uh, but anyway, um, I didn't say which Ed, I just said one of them, and uh, this happens, and he probably fell into trance, and it says this, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is red letter edition that we're looking at, so we would believe this is the voice of Jesus. Surely not, Lord. <laughs> Peter had said this to Jesus before, when Jesus was talking about his own crucifixion. And Peter said the same word, surely not, Lord. And he goes on and says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it says this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Now notice the spirit. Prompting, prompting him. There are three men looking. 
So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with him, for I have sent them. When Peter went downstairs and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we've come for Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. Now, now the, the language of this, I tend to believe it's the latter option that I do think he was a practicing Jew, um, who is respected by all the Jewish people. The Jews respected him. Now, the commentary said that he probably wasn't respected. No, it says that the Jews respected him because he probably was sympathetic to them. It says, a holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men in the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, friends, this right here, verse 24, uh, that you're looking at, that is, we've talked about oikos before. It wasn't just his own household. He called together friends. He called together relatives. Um, he wanted them to hear what Peter was going to have to say. Verse 24. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter said, get up. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius believed that, that God was going to do something because God had spoken to him, and he invited others to hear the message. He said to them, you are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not only call that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, there is much latent right within that verse as well. Let me finish reading out this little section here. So uh, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this very hour at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. Remember your gifts to the poor. Let me move this to the top of the page. It says, send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. Isn't this just something amazing? Totally, totally amazing what happens here. Now, I, I don't think I'm going to go further in text. We'll, we'll do a part B tomorrow. But we, we see that. Cornelius has been prepared. We see that Peter has been prepared. We see Peter giving his objection. Oh, Lord, I can't do that. Well, there were ceremonial laws and there were there were moral laws, and he wasn't being told to break a, uh, a moral law or he was being told to break a ceremonial law about what to eat. And God said, if I tell you to eat it, you eat it. You know, sometimes uh, we, we get so... Uh, locked into a particular theological thought or position, and sometimes God nudges us a different direction. That's exactly what he did to Peter here. Peter could have taken the Jewish approach and said, look, no, I'm not going. Jews and Gentiles do not associate. But this was the Lord sending him to the, to the Gentiles and realizing what, what the message was uh, in verse 28. 
God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Look, everybody that is made is made in the image of God. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're all children of God, but we're all made in the image of God. And and that gives each person value, and every person needs the chance to hear the gospel. Sometimes as Christians, we set ourselves up against certain uh, alphabetical groups in our society, in our culture, uh, or various ethnic groups uh, against uh, in our culture, when God himself right here is making evident and clear that all people are of value and are to be regarded, and all people need to hear the gospel. Peter went. Uh, the other thing that I would draw out of this is that Cornelius brought a bunch of people together. Here's a thought for you. Would you be willing to get a group of people together in your home? People who may not uh, uh, may not go to church with you, but maybe would come to your home. People who you'd say, look, I, I want you to come hear a guy uh, speak to us about uh, spiritual things. I want you to know this, this, this is about spiritual things. Uh, this isn't a sermon. It's not a lecture. It's, it's, it's a chance for you to learn more uh, about Christ and about Christianity. You know, Christ is important to me and I just want to invite you. We'll have desserts. We'll have cheesecake. We'll have, uh, we'll have blueberry pie. We'll have coffee. Uh, we'll have strawberry rhubarb pie. We'll even have ice cream. We'll have some dessert, but if, would you come for just an hour to my house and we'll have dessert and, and we'll, we'll consider an opportunity for you to learn more about Christianity. That's exactly what Cornelius did here. And that's something that you could consider doing as well. People may not go to church with you. They might be willing to come to your house for a barbecue. And you tell them you, you don't, you're not deceptive. You say, look, it's a special barbecue. Uh, there's a message that I want you to hear about and, Nobody's going to ask you to commit anything. Nobody's going to ask you for money. Nobody's going to ask you. I just want you to come and hear because this is so meaningful to me, and I want you to hear. And, I mean, Cornelius didn't even know what the message was yet, and he's already invited a whole house full of people. Would you pray about, would you consider doing something like that? And if you would say, no, I'd do something like that, um, then let, let me know. And either myself or we'll get somebody else that can come into your house that, that's comfortable on their feet talking about the things of Christ and introduce your friends to Christ uh, or let them ask questions about Christianity uh, or, or anything of that nature. Well, we're going to stop there for today. We will see what happens tomorrow. We just know that the Holy Spirit prompted Cornelius. Cornelius uh, listened. The Holy Spirit prompted Peter. Peter listened and something absolutely phenomenal is about to happen in this passage. Oh, Lord. Would you make us the type of people through whom you could do something truly remarkable? I pray that you would take some Christians and, and cause them to have a willingness to open their home and, and gather 20, 30, 40 people together who might be willing to hear uh, a message or to be able be willing to come and ask questions about Christianity uh, that we could clarify things and point them to Jesus, even as Cornelius did. Lord, raise up. I know there are people around the globe who are doing those types of things. Lord, raise them up here in our area as well, all for the glory of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends today with an awareness of your presence. May they have a sense of you smiling upon them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, have a great day. We will see you again on Wednesday.